St. Louis Public Radio's The Gateway gives you the day's news first thing every weekday morning. From the ever-evolving relationship between St. Louis City and County to developments in the Missouri and Illinois state capitals and reports from our correspondents in Rolla and the Metro East. We put it all in a roughly 10-minute package with clarity and context. Download The Gateway wherever you get podcasts. $16. It's the price of the PSAT. It's the same price as a pair of jeans, two 21-ounce bottles of Dawn, eight bus rides one way, four loads of laundry, or 80 packets of ramen noodles. I can calculate those numbers inside my head within seconds, and people like to mention how smart I sound, but that doesn't sound like smart to me. It's just practicality, like how to tie your shoes, don't eat glue, we don't have food. It's all things you learn in childhood. That was Cameron Howe, St. Louis's Youth Poet Laureate. I'm Jeremy Goodwin, and this is Cut and Paste, St. Louis Public Radio's arts and culture podcast. Cameron Howe will perform a sort of introductory piece at the Rust Belt Poetry Slam. That's an annual competition that floats around from city to city. It'll be in St. Louis for the first time this year for its 20th anniversary, and it'll draw slam poets from around the country and some homegrown talent. That's happening at Dot Zach in Midtown on June 21st and 22nd. It's organized by Herb Arts, a nonprofit based out of the Old North neighborhood in St. Louis. Herb Arts is run by poet M.K. Stallings, and it sponsors open mic nights, poetry slams, story slams, all sorts of stuff centered on the word as a way to reach out to area youth. Youth like Cameron Howe. I asked M.K. Stallings, why does poetry work so well as a way to reach young people? The reason why poetry is so important is partly because I think all of the necessary ways that we have to be able to effectively communicate our vision, you know. The thing is is that you can learn how to write an essay, and that's great, that's necessary in terms of, like, composition. But I think poetry teaches something that is compelling for the listener, for the reading audience. It's a way of succinctly and, again, compellingly expressing a truth or a vision. Also, it's a way of getting as simplifying a very like complex idea. And when you're able to effectively do that, I think that not only are you a, a poet, you know, you're an effective communicator. If you're interested in how figurative language can color a conversation and maybe even bring distant communities closer to you because you're able to communicate something cultural for those communities that may have felt out of the conversation, then you are bringing people together in very meaningful ways through poetry. And then poets have always had a place at the table when it comes to shaping our thinking and also have always had a place at the table when it comes to communicating the the mood of a community. But I think people who understand the power of poetry understand that it's it should be fundamental to any curriculum. What does writing and performing and sharing poetry do for you personally? Uh, So what has it done for me? It gave me an outlet. You know, honestly, I I don't know if I'd be where I am today as the founder of this nonprofit if it wasn't for some level of of opportunity that poetry gave me. I was was competing in slams when I was uh, around 18 years old. 
I learned a long time ago is that if you give somebody a platform, you know, some magical things can happen. And if you don't give them that opportunity, then we may never hear their brilliance. We never experience, we may never experience who they are. And so that's a, a critical part of the work I do. Okay, MK, why don't we uh, hear some of that work? Uh, so this poem gets at this notion of freedom, you know, being a St. Louisan and living in a part of town where there's frequent gunshots. Uh, I often think about guns and I often think about uh, errant bullets and I think about how people can be devastated, you know, by gun violence. So this poem gets at that. How much is freedom? Is it as much as diverting dollars from underdeveloped schools or the amount to avoid disconnection or payday loan interest made off workers? Is it as cheap as the bullet or as expensive as the gun lobbyist or the grief or the mourning, the poet's elegy, the preacher's eulogy? It at least must be as much as a mother's kiss, a sister's hugs, a father's tickles. This freedom I know costs leverage at the bargaining table, costs broken hearts from lost campaigns, lost pathways forward, lost opportunities, failed futures, because your freedom ain't free for me. Your gun rights liberate young dude to shoot freely round me like the sun shaded him, like he thinks the sky looks down on him and he ain't wrong. The sky knows he's beneath it, so do the stars and planets and constellations, so he tries busting holes in the Big Dipper, hoping stardust sprinkles down and transforms his nobody to Kanye Kardashian, but we don't see how shards from exploding bullets ricochet off the moon, crash through my living room window and burrowed into a 10-foot wall seven feet above my son's head. Now tell my son, be confident. Walk this earth with your head in the clouds as though eye to eye was twinkling stars like he's 10 feet tall, but that's the danger. Telling my son his potential is the sky might make smaller men envy the space he indwells. Reach for firearms as big as rockets. Launch them toward the center of my solar system and blast a hole in the chest of my universe. And though my son lights my days and I feel his warmth, his love doesn't burn bright enough to incinerate your legislative projectile that protects your rights to be free of scrutiny, free of restriction, free of human rights, your right to bear arms but no responsibility. I wish I was free of your freedom, which been costly, as though I pay you reparations from the independence I won, like you France to my Haiti or something, like my Toussaint is the source of your Napoleon complex, even though my Haitian revolution put something on Jefferson's Louisiana Purchase. There was no new Haiti in the heartland or frontier, only Lovacher namesakes for still Jim Crow schools. Oh, white Jesus, why does your liberation feel like domination? Is it the same reason slaves had to buy their freedom? I never knew it would be so costly. I feel like what I lose in the ability to pour over the words and think about them, perhaps I gain in the force of the performance. That's right. And that's being in the same room with the poet. Absolutely. And again, I think that's, that's the history of poets and audiences. Also here is Cameron Howe. She's been very patient. Cameron, I understand you are 18 years old. You just graduated high school and you've performed and competed as a slam poet. So how'd you get into that? I've been doing poetry since about, I would say freshman year of high school, so about four years now, and I love doing it. How did poetry enter your life? Back in my freshman year, I was in physics class with my f two friends, and they had both gone to our 
cl- school's um, slam poetry meetings before, and they asked me if I wanted to come. They said it was actually really cool and fun. It wasn't like lame poetry. It was cool poetry. That's Kirkwood High School? Yes. And they, had a slam, they have a slam poetry club? Yes, they do. My English teacher was also the person who ran it, so I ended up going after school one day, and I heard just some amazing work when I was there, and I ended up getting hooked into it. Okay, well, let's talk a bit about your work. Uh, are there particular topics you tend to write about? What what inspires you? Um, I've noticed recently, looking back at all my work, a lot of my work tends to revolve around school and the school system, just because I think it was a big part of my life at the time. Sure. I have different poems on, like, school in relation to poverty or school in relation to sexual assault or school in relation to feminism and things like that. Somehow it all comes back to school, though. <laughs> You're a young enough person and young enough writer to remember the transition of starting to write a lot and starting to have that be a part of your life. Can you reflect a little bit on what you think it does for you? Yeah, I think the great part about poetry is that it lets you release your feelings and talk about things you wouldn't normally be able to talk about, but at the same time use that to connect with other people. The biggest part about it that I get from it is being able to hear other people's experiences and hear have other people hear my experiences and then us share like just life together and being human. Do you find yourself talking about things through your poetry that might be more difficult than something you'd bring up at the lunch table? Yeah, definitely a lot. I think a big part of it is like if I if it was something I could bring up at the lunch table, I probably just would. But Writing more difficult things through poetry allows you to just speak how you really feel truly without, and it gives a space for that because sometimes there isn't that kind of space. At its best, that's where poetry should be, something that, you know, speaks a truth that might rattle some people, that might shake some people, might be challenging, uh, might even be triggering to some degree, but it's a a truth that might need to be spoken, uh, might need to be heard. That's M.K. Stallings of Herb Arts. We're talking with him and St. Louis Youth Poet Laureate Cameron Howe. We'll return in just a moment. Let's talk a bit about the difference between writing for the page and the stage. What's the difference between a poem that is written for someone to sit in their living room and read versus um, hear it performed right in the air? It might sound a little more like a story that someone is telling, and, and not necessarily a poem. But... To me, it's it's all valid when it comes to poetry, as long as you have a few basic principles uh, that you're holding on to, such as a minimum amount of words and a maximum amount of meaning, then that means that, that there's an opportunity for wordplay. There's an opportunity to do some really interesting things with homonyms and homophones, right? There's an interesting way of grabbing people, providing a punchline that may have been unexpected, or bringing them into a call-and-response sort of moment because now the audience knows what the poet is about to say and then they can participate so there are just some great experiences that can be had when you have uh, someone who's not bound to the page but is a participant in the oral tradition of poetry and that's that's a big point isn't it Cameron that uh, the audience becomes part of the process in a way that isn't the same as is when you're writing something down yes that's very true it's a different feeling to 
hand a teacher a paper and have them grade it and look at it and write on there like, oh, you did a really good job or, oh, I really like this line versus you standing in front of a group of people and saying it out loud and feeling them give you energy back, the same energy you're kind of putting out towards them. What does that feel like to stand up there? Well, first of all, it's scary because, you know, public speaking is one of the scariest things for a lot of people. But at the same time, it's rewarding. It's like you can tell that everyone is listening to you right now and that they're understanding what you're saying and relating to the words that you are speaking and the experiences you've had. More of the slam poetry world, you get more of poems that really impact you, make you feel something. Like you'll see a lot of people in the audience crying. They'll be bawling out in tears or they can, they're visibly upset or they're really happy. Maybe they're laughing everywhere and like they're really loud. It's just a lot more of like you can feel the audience and feel the whole audience is feeling the same emotion. Somehow, some way, we're all feeling the same thing when we listen to a poem. Mm. Well, uh, let's, uh, let's listen to one now. Do you have something you could perform for us? I think I'll read my poem that I've done several times before. It's called um, $16. It's mainly about the education system and how it relates to poverty and how most people don't really see that. They only, they can't really see what's behind closed doors. It's what the life somebody lives outside of school. $16. It's the price of the PSAT. It's the same price as a pair of jeans, two 21 ounce bottles of Dawn, eight bus rides, one way, four loads of laundry, or 80 packets of ramen noodles. I can calculate those numbers inside my head within seconds, and people like to mention how smart I sound, but that doesn't sound like smart to me. It's just practicality, like how to tie your shoes, don't eat glue, we don't have food. It's all things you learn in childhood. I can still remember my mother telling me after school not to reveal the cracks in our walls to the other kids. Yeah, roof was caving in. You could look up expecting plaster and instead take in deep night skies dripping with stars. My little mind likes stars. They didn't have to be contained to where they were born. They could move away little by little. If only we could still think the same way we did when we were little. The next night, my star's head transformed into raindrops. Our kitchen floor was flooded. We never had the money to get it fixed. After that, my dad lost his job for the first time in my lifetime. And in a zero-income household of six, we had to do what we needed to to survive, meaning I had to take the sacrifice. It was cheaper to let one daughter go to private school and let the other one be homeschooled. But I spent sixth grade sitting at home because every day my teacher father left me alone. I was stuck in a house without AC or central heat from seven to five until he could come back just in time to tell my mom lies that he had been there all day. She still tries to make it up to me. I wish you would have just listened to me. I thought about that. Three years later, as my head rested against gray car seats, wondering why a ninth grader took a whole hour to do her mash sheets, I had to ask my sister what three times seven was. Luckily, she knows where I'm from. We grew up with those same cracks in our walls. So with all our belongings packed in the trunk and a goodwill blanket over us, we stared out above the dashboard at the night sky. She wondered why God hated her so much, but God can never hate something he created, and God created sky, so she got her chance to go be free with the stars when she moved away. The nights got colder. Now I'm standing here with a backpack on my shoulder like if I take this test I might amount to something bolder like I might escape my destiny like I might replace the time I never got to learn how to read. I want to put an end to my family's welfare streak, but this money is all we have for food to eat. The school system just never sees the people like me. They place all their witches on the kids that they think will become stars, all emphasis placed on our scores, so 
Ignore the cracks in our walls. Ignore the raindrops that fall down our cheeks. Ignore the time we spent trying to catch up to everyone else when we couldn't even make ends meet. Expect us to follow the same expectations as kids who hold the whole universe in their hands like a $20 bill on testing day. $20 is the same prices. Three coats to keep us warm in the winter. Maybe two weeks worth of pads for me and my sister. 10 bus rides one way or 100 packets of ramen noodles. That can't be easy to perform in front of a room full of strangers. <laughs> so why do you do it? It is, it's difficult, but some of the most difficult things are the ones that need to be heard. I feel like if it's not, if you could say it easily, then it probably, it doesn't need to be said. Not that it doesn't need to be said, but that you can't, it has a it says a lot if you're saying something that you can't normally say. That's the good thing about poetry is that you're able to say those things that you wouldn't normally be able to tell other people. But you can do it in such a beautiful way that forces them to listen. So let's talk about the, the Rust Belt Poetry Slam. Yeah. This is the 20th year. Right. Has has it been in St. Louis before? Never before. The Rust Belt, by the way, is like a – the best way to describe it is a – family reunion responsibility for a family unit you know they take on the responsibility from other families you know so you say i'll do it i'll do it this year okay. <laughs> and so and so then we're we decided that we would do it they accepted our bid for doing it so this year you know we're looking to have uh, a strong contingent of poets from detroit as well as from kansas city uh, poets from Springfield, Missouri, Columbia. But even further than that, right? Yeah, I mean, New York. We have poets coming from... San Diego, San Tampa. Diego, that's right. It's it's a lot of poets from a lot of different places. So we have some really powerful poets that have signed up, and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that they're willing to, uh, you know, come from Baltimore and San Diego and wherever to share some of their their talent with us in our city because a lot of times poets might get on a national team or a regional team to go somewhere and experience poetry in those cities but we don't often have an opportunity to give St. Louis audiences a sense of what's happening and it's just it is fantastic what's happening out there and yeah, I, I look forward to seeing the faces of the audience members as they hear a poet share their work that they may not have had an opportunity to experience before, except through YouTube. It's poetry. When you get to listen to it and you can only hear it that one time, it makes you appreciate everything more in the moment rather than you having to dwell on it, just like MK said, but also... A lot of the times nowadays when we have everything at our fingertips, we can think we can look at anything later. I can always push it back till later. I can always push it back till later. But now you have to appreciate something in the moment if you can only hear it that one time through somebody's voice. Let's sketch out the, the shape of this thing. So there's a team competition and an individual competition. That's right? right. That's right. Each team will have about four teams in what's called a poetry slam bout. That's four poets. I mean, four teams going head to head. When you do, you use the in, term "bout." Is that what yeah? It, that's okay. the term. Yeah, okay. poetry slam bout. Yeah. It's a, so this really it's a competition. It's a competition, and that's part of the reason why instead of calling it a festival, we're referring to it as a tournament. Uh, and and it's about celebrating that excellence and being able to connect with audiences because, like in traditional poetry slam, the judges will come from the audience and will hear 
what the audiences are responding to uh, based on how some teams are able to advance and how other teams aren't able to advance. And the judges for that are people who just come in from off the street. You know, we don't know. Oh, so these aren't no specialists who no, go around no, the poetry no. they're slams not, They're and not judge. experts at all. They might be, you know, but. How do you pick, so how do you pick them? Randomly. We ask, like, who in the room would like to judge this poetry <laughs> slam, you know. And that speaks to the history of it. It also, you know, for me, as I began to kind of wrap some philosophy around it, you do want to make sure that your work connects with the everyday person. I mean, in my mind, poetry slam has a strong connection to the poets of the black arts movement, you know, just poetry that's for the people, you know, that's about common struggles, about everyday life. There is a strong connection to these poets who cared about what the people had to say. And from there, the works are either crafted in a way that will bring those same people into the conversation that hadn't been in the conversation before, or at least allow them to hear some of their issues, some of their ideas, some of their hopes and dreams be expressed on the lips of these poets. About It's about crafting a poem that reaches audiences and pulls them closer to you. And they can tend to be aggressive, some of these poems. Some of them are soft. Uh, some of them are pleading poems. Some of them are urgent poems, necessary poems. Uh, but hardly any of them might fall in... Um, a category where the work is passive and is uh, exploration of nature, but instead it's very much so about blood and bones. It's about everyday issues. It's about politics. It's about what I feel needs to be said that hasn't really been addressed in a meaningful way. So I'm going to say it right now. I'm really interested to hear you talk about poetry as a socially relevant art form. Mm -hmm. Cameron, it sounds like, is that how you think about poetry too? Um, yes, it is. I do think it's something that's very, like, you have to take things that are modern and talk about s modern issues because that's when it's going to stay relevant with people and that's what really matters right here in the moment. That was Cameron Howe and M.K. Stallings of Herb Arts. Herb Arts is sponsoring the Rust Belt Poetry Slam at Dot Zach in late June. Now that she's a high school graduate, by the way, Cameron is looking at attending Merrimack Community College next year. I'm Jeremy Goodwin, and this has been Cut and Paste, St. Louis Public Radio's arts and culture podcast, produced with help from our executive editor, Shula Newman. You can find Cut and Paste at stlpublicradio.org or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a smart speaker, you have access to the entire world of NPR and St. Louis Public Radio. All the latest news and all the captivating stories. Activate our voices with yours by telling your smart speaker to play St. Louis Public Radio.